Kid me, I know you're going to be lifting those flaps on juice boxes this afternoon to keep the messes away, right? Now, the reason I show you that is because you know, whenever I see a video like that or one of these life hack videos that uses, you know, paper clips to save a life or whatever, it, it always strikes me that I, I saw those things right in front of me and I never knew that you could do that with that or that this simple thing had this purpose that I have missed all along. And it seems like life is like that sometimes. We, we have things right in front of us that we miss. And like when we're looking for something, right? You're around the house, you're looking for whatever it is, and you look everywhere and then you realize that all along it was right in front of you. And then we say, if it were a snake, no, I would have known it was a snake and I would have gotten a shovel and killed it, right? <laughs> Yeah, it, it would have bitten me. It was right there in front of me. And, and, and we just, we do that all the time. And, you know, I think we can even do that spiritually. There are times when there are powerful truths right in front of us. Important things that God has set in our lives, in Scripture, right in front of us. And we don't see it. We miss it. Today we begin this series that I'm calling Seeing the Unseen, and, it, and it's all about seeing the power of the gospel that sometimes we've missed. And, and the heart of the gospel, the core of the gospel, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I think sometimes we miss that power. Now, it may be because like, you're exploring faith, you're trying to figure out what this is all about, and as you explore it, you haven't really had someone sit down and explain all that. And so, yeah, it's right there. And you, you know that the death of Jesus is important. But maybe you're thinking, why? Why does Jesus' death change anything about my life? What does that do for me? I don't really understand that. And so that power that's at work in what God has done, you've missed. Or maybe, maybe you've been at this for decades and the power of the gospel, the, the core of the gospel, it has become so familiar to you that you don't really even notice it anymore. I think that can happen for us, that anything in life can become so familiar that we miss the power that stands behind it. And that is certainly true with the gospel at times. So in this series, I'd like to remind us or maybe teach you the, the power behind what really is at the core of the gospel. Okay? And we're going to do that by looking at an important chapter of Scripture. We'll get to that in just a minute. But, but you know, one of the things that, that C.S. Lewis, Lewis notes in his book, Mere Christianity, is this. We have this built-in sense of justice, of right and wrong. You know, it doesn't take us long after we learn to talk for something to happen. Somebody takes a toy, somebody, you know, hits us, whatever it is, and we say, that's not fair. That's not fair. Where does that come from? Most of us don't have to be taught that. It's like it's right inside. We have a, a sense that when things are not fair, we point it out. And C.S. Lewis says, God put that within us. God put a sense of right and wrong, of fair and unfair within us. And when we recognize that, it doesn't take us long to realize that if we, we look in our lives, as we begin to mature and grow and into adulthood, when there's been some stuff that I've done that's wrong, okay? I've been the one who has been unfair to someone else. 
We can look back on our lives today and we can think of words that, that came out of our mouths that we would love to be able to take back because of the damage that they did to someone else. We can think of actions that there were the result of, of me, of motives within me. I did something that I wish I could take back because of the harm that I had on someone else. And these things we know, and they offend God. I mean, if our sense of right and wrong come from God, if our sense of fair and unfair come from God, we know that when we sin, when we do and say things that are wrong, that is offensive to God, and it's like pushing God away. And when we recognize that, then we're caught in the situation that, what do I do with that? I mean, if I've, if I've pushed God away, what can I do to make this right? Now, think about that. When we say something, when we do something to someone we love, right, and we know we've hurt them, we want to make it right. We, we want to solve the problem. We want, we want to make it so there's not that barrier between me and that other person. And sometimes we apologize, we try to do something, and, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And maybe we have an attempt at that with God. We want to do something to make it right with God. But as much as we might try to do a bunch of good stuff to hide the bad stuff, it's still there. And our relationship with God is still harmed. So, so what do we do about that? Well, the good news is God has already done something about it. And that really is at the core, the heart of the gospel. And to examine that, I want us to look over the next three weeks at one chapter. And if we said, okay, what's the most important chapter in the Bible or the most important ones? There's lots of things you might list. You might list something from the gospel, maybe a chapter that describes the crucifixion of Jesus. You wouldn't be wrong. Maybe John chapter 3 because it includes John 3.16. You wouldn't be wrong. Psalm 23 because of the words of comfort. You wouldn't be wrong. But maybe one you wouldn't suggest is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But by the end of this series, I think you'll see why, why I believe that's one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. Because in this chapter, Paul goes all the way back to the beginning, okay? And he goes all the way to the end when Jesus returns and also discusses right in the middle the heart of the gospel. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and the impact that it has on us. So, for these three weeks, I want us to think about this core chapter about the gospel and how it affects us, changes us for this life, and changes eternity for us. Now, we're barely going to scratch the surface this week. We're just going to look at the first three verses. We'll get to the rest of it. There's more power there, and, and I want you to hear that. So I encourage you to come back next week. If you, if you can't make it for all three of these sermons, listen online because I want you to hear all of this material. As we look at 1 Corinthians 15, Paul opens it this way. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So let's go back. I want to remind you of what I taught you. You see, they're a little bit like us, that it was easy for them to forget the power behind what Paul had preached to them. So here he's reminding them, listen, this is what I told you, the power of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Okay, this is the basis for faith, the basis for the life we live of following Jesus. Verse 2 By this gospel, you are saved. By this gospel, 
You're saved from the sin that you know has separated you from God. You know that that sin has pushed you away from God. And ultimately, we know that our sin deserves punishment. We know that our sin deserves death. Okay, what has God done about that that saved us? By this gospel, you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. So you got to stick with this. And then verse 3. And this is where he jumps into everything. But we're not going to go any further than this verse this week. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Okay, what he's about to say is the most important thing. Right? We know lots of facts. We know lots of people. We know lots of stuff. There is nothing more important than what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the core. And here's just the beginning that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, Paul's going to use that phrase according to the Scriptures on and on in 1 Corinthians 15. Why? Because he's saying, listen, God has a plan. And he's had a plan for a long time. And if you look back in the Old Testament, and for Paul, that would be the Scriptures, because the New Testament is just being written. So he looks back and he says, God has planned this for hundreds of years. And he predicted it through the prophets. And it was fulfilled in Jesus. So according to the Scriptures, Jesus died for us. That's what saves us. That's the beginning of the Gospel. Jesus on a cross. Because Jesus' death brings us forgiveness and eternal life. And maybe you hear that and you say, okay, I've heard that before. But you know, I've really wondered how Jesus' death could possibly save me. How Jesus' death could change something for me. Why is this the heart of the good news? Why does Jesus' death save me from my sins? Well, to think about that, I want us to look at just a couple of other passages today. The first is found in Romans chapter 3. Great passage, very well known. Begins in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who's that? That's, That's me. That's you. That's every human being who's ever lived. Everyone has sinned. And we're saying we we didn't just make mistakes here and there. We sinned. We did stuff that pushed God away. Really pushed ourselves away from God. We did that. And because of that, we deserve punishment. And then verse 24, And all are justified freely by His grace. God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All of this happens because of Jesus. We're sinners and we deserve punishment. But why Jesus' death? Well, here's the thing. For all have sinned, you, me, everybody else, but Jesus. We're told in Scripture that Jesus is the only one who didn't sin. And so it was, it's, it's only Jesus whose death can make a difference. And it's for a couple of reasons. One of them is because Jesus didn't sin. You know, I could die for you today. I could say, I'm going I'm to die for everybody in this room. 
and somebody could kill me, and you know what? It would have no effect on you. I mean, maybe, hopefully you'd be a little sad, but beyond that, it's not going to have like an eternal effect. It's not going to change your status with God. It'll make no difference in that. None. Because I'm a sinner too. But Jesus, because He was sinless, could take all of our sin to the cross with Him and pay the price that we should have paid. Second reason is, He's the Son of God. Jesus was God in flesh. Nobody else is that. Nobody else can claim to be the Son of God. Now, we are sons and daughters of God, but in a very different way than Jesus. Jesus is God Himself taking on human form. And because He is God, the Son of God, His death changes everything. God taking our sin, sinless God taking our sin to the cross changes everything. That's the power of the gospel. That's what brings salvation. That's what buys us back. That's what redemption is. And that changes us. Now, to go a little further into that, we go back to 1 Corinthians, but now in chapter 1. Chapter 1 talks about this because Paul was encountering, well, something that's not surprising, a little opposition. Because some people were saying, okay, Paul, I hear what you're saying, but what you're telling me is that God, okay, came to earth in human form. Alright? And you're saying also that He fulfilled the prophecy according to the Scriptures that He was also King. Alright? We call Him Messiah. He's going to reign over the universe. Jesus is in charge. You're telling us He's the Son of God and his, He's the King and that He died on a cross. Listen, Paul. The cross was invented by the Romans as the most humiliating way to die that there is. Kings don't die on a cross. Criminals die on a cross. The Son of God doesn't die on a cross. Criminals die on a cross. Paul, that's, that's foolishness. What you're saying is foolishness. This is how Paul responds. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who don't believe, who have rejected it, who haven't really thought through what God was at work doing, yeah, it's foolishness. But to us, and then this interesting phrase, who are being saved. I love that. Whether you're just exploring this now and you're thinking, I think I'm about ready to make a commitment of faith in Jesus Christ. Or whether you've been doing this for 30, 50, 70 years, we're, still, we're all in the process. We're all growing in this and understanding it on a deeper level than we did yesterday. This is a process who are being saved. For those people, the message of the cross, it is the power of God. This is God at work. This is God doing His very best work. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? 
Has not God made the foolish the wisdom, made foolish the wisdom of the world? What Paul's saying is, listen, and he goes on to talk about this. Read 1 Corinthians 1. It's a great chapter that talks about the cross. He's saying, listen, there's two groups out there. And you got, you got the, the, the Jews that Jesus came from, that Paul was a Jew. And he's saying what they are looking for is fulfillment of prophecy of the king, the Messiah, but they have the wrong thing in mind. They don't have the king that God had in mind. And they're just they're looking for signs and wonders. Jesus did some of that, but not enough for them. And then you've got the rest of the world, and you've got these great philosophers, these people of great wisdom, and, and they've sort of weaved these intricate philosophical systems, and the cross is just way too simple, too direct for them. And so they call it foolishness. Paul says, God has taken what some would say is powerlessness, what some would say is foolishness, and he's turned it on its head. And it is wisdom and it is power because God stands behind it. He brings that all together in verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Oh, people may say it's foolishness. And people may say God on a cross is weakness. But what Paul says is this is God's wisdom and God's power at work in the very best possible way to bring salvation to humanity. There's the gospel. There's what we've been given, the gift that we've been offered to change this life and to give us eternal life. And so the message for us from this short passage in 1 Corinthians 15 is we have life because of Jesus' death. And what we deserve is punishment for our sins. What we deserve is death. What we get is life because we've been forgiven. And so how do we respond to that? What are we called to do in the face of this God on a cross offering us forgiveness and eternal life? Well, the first thing we've got to do is admit that we're sinners. Okay? And you know, Jesus... He submits to this most humiliating death that there is possible. And we too are called, in a way, to some acts of humility. We can be proud. We're called, we're called to humble ourselves by simply saying, you know what? I'm a sinner. It's not just that I've slipped up a couple times, although that would still make me a sinner. It's not just that I've made a, a few mistakes along the way, although that would still make me a sinner as well. But in reality, every one of us at some time or another, and maybe many times over, have willfully sinned against this God who created us. We are sinners, and we're in need of forgiveness. We're called to admit that. We're called to say that to ourselves and to God. We're called to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. He's the Son of God. And it's not just that we, we sort of acknowledge the facts about Jesus. It's not just that we, we say, I understand who Jesus is. It's that we say, 
I understand that I've got to allow him to be Lord of my life. In other words, I'm going to let him set the direction. I'm going to walk behind him. I'm going to follow his steps because he's God's son, because of what he's done for me. We are humbling ourselves, putting ourselves in a lesser position because of who Christ is. And third, we're called to be baptized. And you know, baptism is a little, it's a little humbling. You know, in, in some ways to us, it's, it's almost a little strange because it's not what our world does. Truth is, back in scriptural times, that baptism had been used before and it was then sort of given new meaning by these early Christians, by Jesus himself. But it's a little strange to up, go up and get soaking wet in front of a bunch of people. And yet in baptism, we are called to participate with Christ. When we go into that water, our old self dies. And what comes back up is something new. In, in, in such a tiny way, we are called to participate in Jesus' humiliating death on the cross, by humbling ourselves and allowing someone to put us underwater and bring us back up, to wash away our sins through the power of the grace of God. We're called to do that. It's the good news. It's the gospel. We have life because of his death. And he's inviting you into something new. And all you've got to do is receive it. Say that you acknowledge who he is. Confess your faith. Repent of your sins. And be baptized. God's calling you to him. He wants to open that relationship to change this life so that it is spent for him and change your eternity so that you're with him forever. Let's pray together. God, your word, your gospel, your good news is really powerful. I'd help it to transform who we are. God, I pray for each person in the room that may be thinking about making a decision to follow you. And God, I hope you'll prompt them to do just that. Give them the courage to step out and make that decision. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you are today thinking.